Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So the NFL has decided they will not play this week. The game between the Bills and the Bengals could be made up at some other time, I suppose. But uh, in the interest of, you know, scheduling and everything else, some of the players, most of them went back to Buffalo. Some stayed in Cincinnati. Regardless, uh, DeMar Hamlin, as we do this podcast, uh, is still in critical condition. They say he uh, essentially suffered a, a cardiac event, um, heart attack, uh, where his heart stopped, actually, um, and they revived him on the field. So he's still hospitalized in Cincinnati. No update on him. Again, this could change minute to minute, but um, they're not going to play this game, which, of course, has – a lot of playoff implications and, and seedings and things like that um, that they'll have to, of course, uh, deal with at some point. But for now, at least, uh, the league and, and the players' unions have decided this will not be the week um, that they will try to make that up. And, and really, they're running out of days to begin with, so not surprising there. All right, we've got a bunch of uh, mailbag questions for you today, and without any further ado, let's get started. All right, we'll start with Michael, who asked, are the Bucks scouts and coaches going to put all the resources into game planning for the playoffs starting this week, or are they going to wait until next week while they game plan for the Falcons? Well, I, I think that, you know, you can walk and chew gum a little bit here, but here's the important thing, is that you do have a game on Sunday, and, and it's sort of like, you know, you have to prepare for that game because that's the one in front of you. Uh, have they begun to look at Dallas and and do some things there or Philadelphia? Yes, they, they have. Now, they've already played Dallas, so they're a little bit more familiar with them probably than the Eagles who they played in the playoffs a year ago. But to be honest, the last thing you want to do is not game plan for Atlanta and then go out there. They've already said they're going to play their starters. We don't know for how long. Maybe the whole game, I don't know. But you know, to, to, to sort of take the focus away from the Falcons, look bad playing that game, what, what is the point anyway? You know, the, if, if it doesn't affect the seeding, but you've decided to play, you're doing it because, as Todd Bowles says, we want to work on some things. You know? And so those things are going to help you against uh, your opponent in the postseason. So I think they will game plan pretty much like they always do. I mean, as far as the offensive side goes, I'm just talking about that for a minute. That's Byron Leftwich and Tom Brady. And Tom's going to want to know exactly what Atlanta has, is doing. They have a very good defense. Um, they, they certainly gave Tom Brady fits the last time they played. You remember that game actually came down to a very controversial roughing the passer penalty. And uh, the Bucks were the benefit of that. Um, and so... It, it to me it'll be a normal week with with the idea and the eye on the fact that you know you're going to get either Eagles and the Cowboys and really they're expecting the Cowboys I think and that would be an easier sort of preparation simply because they've already done it already right and the team's changed a little bit since then but for the most part they're familiar with the Cowboys they've actually been on the grass with them or the turf or whatever so um, I don't think the preparation time will be that long. 
um, you know, for, for that transition. So, yeah, I, I, it's a week to week league. There's only so many hours in a day and it's really hard to, to kind of, you know, leap ahead and say, well, we're not going to look at Atlanta at all. We're going to treat it like a preseason game. Cause then you get players go out there. They're not effective. You could get a guy hurt. Um, you know, if, if Atlanta's throwing some exotic blitz at you that you missed on tape, uh, that could, that could knock your quarterback out. And now you don't, now you don't, it doesn't matter what you've been preparing for because you don't have, you don't have Tom Brady. So not never good to overlook an opponent if, uh, you know, if it's, if it's full tackle football and that's what it's going to be on Sunday. All right. We got two questions on this one. So Gideon asked, what's the latest on when and if Ryan Jensen will return this season? And Bill asked, why do you believe the team is intentionally vague as to the nature and extent of his injury? Well, the latest is not much has changed since last week, which was his first sort of foray out of the building into the practice field. And, you know, they're not going to throw him right out there with the number ones. Um, he hasn't done any football activities at all since this, what, second or third week of July. So it was more about this was the next step of his rehab. And we don't know how long that rehab is essentially going to last. I mean, the guy for whatever reason and whatever ailment he had opted to not have surgery. Um, and so this has been one that's been a slow recovery. He's tried to condition as best he can. I saw him out there. I, I, I thought he moved pretty well. You know, he wasn't pushing on guys. Um, you know, th- there's several levels of coming back on the practice field. He's not a wide receiver. You know, we saw this with Chris Godwin, who is a wide receiver in, you know, when he first came back out, he was just doing some individual drills, right? Where it's just, you know, against air, you're, you're running out there, catching passes, running routes. And then it was, you know, eventually he worked his way up to one-on-ones and he was doing some of that in training camp. And then eventually they put him in on seven and seven, right? And there's more feet, more bodies around you. And it took him probably the better part of three to half to four weeks to get up to where he was, actually working with the team on a limited basis. He wasn't necessarily their starter or getting starter reps, but he was in there with, with teamwork, 11 on 11. So now that's an example of, of a wide receiver who had injured himself a year earlier. I mean, like, you know, last December, and this was in July, so it's about, been about nine months. Well, Jensen now has, has gone a long time, but this was his first week, and his first week you would say he's in that, individual drill stage where he's just, you know, not really hitting, not a lot of contact, sort of doing one-on-one drills, getting in his stance, getting out of his stance, moving his feet. And as Todd Bowles told us on Monday, it it would be, you know, it's not even possible that he would play um, this week. It's just, you know, there's just not enough that he has done um, to expect that. And so, you know, without playing, so this, this is a game that, you know, it had everything been perfect and he was available, it would be a good game to get him into because it doesn't have an impact on the postseason or on your seating. Um, but that's not going to be the case. So the first time that he could ever play, um, just from a logistical standpoint, is what we've been told by Bulls would be a playoff game. Well, you're, if he's never played, right, the entire regular season, training camp, missed everything, been out to practice a couple days one week, couple days the next week. You really think they're going to play him in the most important game of the year, which would be a postseason game that's going to be his first bite of the apple? I don't. Is that to say that Ryan Jensen, you won't see him this year? Probably not. My guess is no. 
Um, but there's always that but, which is, yeah, what, but, but what if, you know, Robert Hainsey goes down? Or what if, you know, he gets to 65, 70% of what he would be, and that's better than what you have at Nick Leverett? Like, there's always, you know, sort of the unknown. Um, but because it's too early, because he just hasn't been out there but three days, really, there's no way that you can have the expectation he's going to go and play an NFL game because it's a center position. You can't alternate the center. The center is not a defensive lineman. He's not Vita Vea. You can't say we're going to play him 30 snaps, 20 snaps. Um, he's got to go the whole way. So as for why they've been so intentionally vague, I think that is a um, really a Ryan Jensen question that he has never answered. And, and frankly, he's not been available to us because he is on IR and still technically is on our at this point. You know, guys react differently about injuries, you know. I mean, this is a guy that just signed a three-year contract, got a lot of money from the Bucks, and I don't think it would affect his value in terms of free agency because he's, he's under contract. So that's that one's a little um, less clear to me. But, um, you know, he's an older player, and, and sometimes – People just don't want to share that stuff, and they don't have to. I mean, the team is usually more forthcoming than they have been with this one. Um, but look, what if it's multiple things, you know? What if it's not just one thing? What if it's just, you know, a, a pretty messed up knee? Um, I don't know. It, it's it, it's something we'd like to ask Ryan when we do get a chance to talk to him. Like, why weren't you more forthcoming about what was wrong? Clearly, you got a diagnosis, you know, it the first, what, I don't know how many weeks I kept saying, well, when the swelling goes down, well, at some point, you know, MRI would have told you something. But we know he didn't need surgery or didn't didn't at least have surgery, which which means that whatever ligaments, cartilage, um, there's only so many things in your knee that you can mess up. And he could have done it several ligaments or, you know, a bunch of things. Um, but without surgery, that would indicate that they just decided to take the route of it healing. And, and that's probably a little, you know, harder and longer. Um, but that sounds like what they have done. You know, if you had a partial tear, right? We talked about Tom Brady, the Super Bowl year played with a torn MCL, but it was a partial tear. You know, it wasn't like I got, it requires surgery. And somehow he got through the season. It was very painful, but, you know, he wore a brace and, and he's a quarterback. He's not a center. I don't know. If could you have a situation where you had a a significant tear in one of the ligaments or multiple ligaments and maybe some, you know, cartilage? I, mean, I don't know. Um but what we're told is that he didn't have surgery and I don't think we'll ever if he's gone this far, I don't think he's ever going to tell us what really is uh, was was, you know, the scope of his injury specifically. But that's kind of on him right now. It it makes there's no competitive advantage. Everybody knows he has a knee injury. Um, you know, hockey, they'll say upper body, lower body, because they know that teams will target specific areas. But with Ryan, I, I don't see the competitive advantage. He's under contract. Um, you know, if you were going to become a free agent and you didn't want people to know specifically what you had, but there's these things called physicals. And anytime somebody signs a contract, they got to undergo a physical before it counts anyway. So they're, the doctors are going to examine him down the road and, and see what he has. It's a mystery to me, um, and it just seems kind of unnecessary, but maybe that's just the way Ryan wanted to handle it, and I, I would imagine that the Bucks are sort of bound um, with respect to that because of various laws and things that, that they can only give you so much information, like it's a knee injury. You know, you get even less in the National Hockey League, so uh, 
you know, don't complain because the NFL is still more forthcoming than, than most. All right, Randall asked, we've seen Tom Brady make plays and look out for teammates to get some performance bonuses at the end of the season. Could this be a motivating factor for them to play the starters this Sunday? I would assume no, but some of those bonuses can be quite nice at times. Yeah, you know, I think one of those guys might be Chris Godwin, who's approaching 1,000 yards. Um, and, you know, he's also close to 100 catches, I believe. And so those are kind of nice milestones. And you're right. Um, I don't think that's the reason you play guys. But say, for example, had Mike Evans not had the game he had last week and he were 27 or 30 yards short, we've seen them do this. Um, they would come out and they would make sure he got his – his thousand yards, whether there's a bonus involved or just the, you know, the streak that he is on with nine straight 1,000 yard seasons to start his career. So, I think the Bucks, and particularly under Bruce Arians, is where I saw this change. At where, uh, you know, he brought in Antonio Brown, and we remember, you know, after he had been suspended eight weeks, and Brown wasn't going to make a lot of money, but a lot of his contract was incentive laden. And they knew he needed, uh, what, 50 catches or something like that or over 45 catches, whatever. And Tom Brady in the last game, regular season game, was throwing, uh, the last series, in fact, throwing pop passes to him. They're basically handoffs, but because they're pitched forward, they counted as receptions so he could get his money. Um, And they've done that with several players. And so, yeah, absolutely. If there's a guy on the team, and I can think of Godwin just off the top of my head, uh, that has an incentive, a performance bonus that's that's on the line in week week 18, they try to get it to them. And I applaud the ownership for that because that's essentially their money. You know, they don't have to, uh, you know, spend it that way because it's a performance bonus. But if the coaches are on board, I think it's a reward for guys that, that play hurt, that show up, that, that are unselfish and, and, you know, share the ball if you're a wide receiver. So... Off the top of my head, I would imagine that Godwin has something at stake, um, and they'll make. I think they'll make sure he gets it. All right, we got more mailback questions to get to here in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you how you can save money on your electric bill. It's May Electric Solar. They're a family-owned and operated business. They've been installing solar electric systems for a dozen years now in the Tampa Bay and Central Florida area. In a field with a lot of these companies knocking on your door. May Electric Solar is committed to you for the long term. Get this. They guarantee their workmanship with a 30-year labor and services warranty. Plus, with every installation, you get $750 worth of surge protection for all your appliances. That is what we call the May difference. If you visit their Hudson showroom, May Electric displays all their products. They conduct on-site testing. You can see what they'll install. Plus, they don't use subcontractors. That's important. All those guys up there installing for Billy May. They're his guys. Start saving today. Call the solar energy experts at May Electric Solar. It's 727-819-2862. You can schedule a free estimate, lower your electric bill all year long, and preserve the quality of your life and that of your appliances. May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. All right. Luis uh, tweeted us. He says, this game aside, Ryan Suckup and Jake Camarda have to be the Bucks' best players of the year. Some games, the only points are from suck-up, where the field placement is from Jake Camarda. This doesn't feel normal for football. Well, it's not because, you know, the NFL has, at least until this year, and scoring is down, has has become a scoring league. And, you know, most seasons or every season, your your top scorer is going to be your your field goal kicker for the most part, uh, simply because they're, you know, they have so many opportunities. And even though it's not a touchdown, it's still three, et cetera. So not not necessarily a surprise, you know, sort of 
the way Suckup has scored. I think he's had a very good year. He's still not the guy that I want to kick over 50-plus yards. I'm still not very confident in his range. Um, but the, the the ones you have to have, the inside 50 yards um, that NFL kickers really need to make all the time or 90% of the time, he's really, really good. And I think last year he was injured, and I think that affected his range. He's made some 50-yarders this year. It's not where he's the most comfortable for sure, especially if it, if it ekes back to 54, 55 yards. Um, but he's had a hell of a year. And, and, and as far as Camarda goes, I thought he should have gotten some Pro Bowl votes. Um, I, the guy's been terrific. And I want to say that he is uh, fourth overall in the NFL in average. But that means there's three punters, which is hard to uh, fathom, three guys that had a better year uh, as far as gross average goes. And then there's net average where he's more middle of the pack. But sometimes that has a lot to do with your coverage team than anything else. But the play Jake Camarda made, you know, uh, after the bad snap by Zach Turner, and then for him to keep alive, first of all, dug it out like a shortstop using his baseball background, but then for him to keep it alive, get around the edge with his speed, and he ran really well. How he was able to to punt the ball with his right foot running dead left and then drop it inside or around the five-yard line is one of the greatest plays I've ever seen. And, you know, he is a special guy. It's just there's not a lot of love for specialists beyond Pro Bowls and things like that. Um, I can't remember one that was the MVP of his team. Certainly Adam Benatieri had a lot of big kicks in his day, but Tom Brady was the reason he was in that position. So, um, you know, those guys have been really, really good. And I think Camaro probably makes some rookie teams and, and uh, suck up did not get the Pro Bowl, but uh, he showed when healthy, he's still he's still exceptional. And I think that's kind of held this team together. I mean, the defense, the field position with that defense, and getting as many points as you can, even if you can't get in the end zone, Ryan Suckup has been money. I mean, heck, they went into Dallas in week one, and they didn't score a touchdown till late with that one-handed catch by Mike Evans. And Ryan Suckup was going to beat the Cowboys on his own. And so along with the defense. So I, I think they've done a nice job of playing field position, complimenting complimentary football that way, and and the percentage that Suckup has kicked with um, and for all field goals, especially under 50 yards, has been really, really good. All right, Scotty had tweeted. He said, what role does Tom Moore have on this coaching staff? Um, quarterback whisper. <laughs> um, Tom Moore is a treasure, man. He really is. I mean, you think about this guy, Coach Tony Dungy at the University of Minnesota. That was his coach. So what has he not seen, right, through the years? All the years he spent in Pittsburgh with those great Steeler teams, um, just an encyclopedia of information, and especially for quarterback play. When you can have, you know, a player like Peyton Manning for the majority, if not all, his career, and then – enjoy three seasons with Tom Brady and maybe more. Um, my goodness, I mean, he knows a lot of stuff, right? Brady used to, you know, steal from Peyton Manning. Manning used to steal from Brady. They eventually got together in, in Tennessee one year and, you know, started talking ball goat to goat because they realized we're the only two guys that actually know the game at the level that we know it at. Um, and so... I think Tom just, you know, 
is is that little voice, that grandfatherly voice in, in guys' ears. He absolutely is the first one to work every day. What is he, 83, 84 years old now? He's the first one that gets there to the facility. He, you know, in full long sleeves, sometimes jacket is at every practice, and he's not in a golf cart. He's standing, you know, walking practice. And um, and he's in the meetings, and he, he's on every road trip, and he rides the buses, and he talks to those guys. And, I, you know, sometimes it's just a word here or there, um, or a reminder, or, you know, it can be anything. But, you know, he has a role. It's it's sort of undefined, but it's it's certainly quarterback-related. And um, I know that uh, Tom has, has a pretty special relationship with him. Peyton Manning always did. And, you know, Clyde Christensen is the quarterback's coach, but he worked under under Tom as well uh, for years in, in Indianapolis. So it's a it's a nice it's a nice guy to have. It's a hell of a resource. And he still loves ball and he still wants to come to work every day. And he works. He's not just out there, you know, as a figurehead. I mean, he's talking to these guys and and watching film and doing things that uh that, that Tom Moore has done his whole life. But uh, what a resource, man, to have somebody that's been and seen as much as he has uh, and still sharp as hell. And, and um, I'm, I know they're, they're both – everybody's glad he's on that staff. Certainly Brady is. He speaks very highly of him. All right, Scott tweeted us. He said, NFL quarterbacks typically buy their offensive line gifts for Christmas. Any idea what Tom did for his this year? You know, I had that on my to-do list. I did not find that out. Um, and – you know, Mike Evans, of course, got the the biggest uh, gift for everybody, I think, which was he he literally uh, spent almost a quarter million dollars, as I could estimate it, unless he got a deal on on scooters for every single member of the football team. Which you know, if you're that Santa, you're you're pretty popular. I think Brady has gotten them watches before. I heard that um, Todd Bowles bought. Very expensive watches. They weren't Rolex. Uh, I think maybe I don't know what they were, but they weren't. I don't think they were Rolexes for his entire coaching staff, which was impressive. Um, yeah, guys, some guys go pretty crazy, and Brady's always been a really generous guy. Now, let's be honest. Um, he has this thing this year called a clothing brand, and I don't know if you've seen some of that stuff, but it's really nice. He wears it every weekend, just about uh, to the games. And I tell you what, if somebody plopped a box of that in my locker I'd be pretty happy with it too but I haven't found out what Brady uh got them this year um trying to think what else one year I did know and I wrote about it but I can't off the top of my head I can't recall what it was um he's very big into brand stuff expensive things um you know uh I don't want to say whether it's Gucci you know it's it's always going to be a design or something but uh but that's that'll be on my to-do list and I, I I meant to know what it was and I don't know but I'll I will venture to find out tell you on Sports Day Tampa Bay and be 100 100% correct uh and I'll bet you it's a pretty darn good gift cuz that's just that's just who he is man he's really he's always been very generous you know he's of course he's rich as hell and it's easy to do but uh, he didn't have to do it and he always goes above and beyond and and doesn't disappoint anybody with uh with how generous he is with not just his his money but his time and you know with younger team they're all younger teammates but with guys that are new and we hear stories about him introducing himself to a guy in a practice squad you know that just arrived and hey i'm making a point to seek him out i'm tom brady and they're like yeah no duh 
Um, and so, uh, I, I think whatever it is, uh, when we do hear about it, you'll be, you'll be pretty happy. All right. Phil had tweeted. He says, does Tom Brady go into the ring of honor before Mike Evans when they are both eligible? And then what happens when the ring of honor runs out of room? I assume that they'll eventually have more players than space on that ring in the stadium. Well, I think there's two sides of the stadium for starters. Um, I'm not real sure about that. And and probably by the time they fill that other side up, they'll be looking for a new stadium anyway. So yeah, exactly. And then they'll then they'll have double rows. Then they'll have like a bigger concourse with like names stacked on top of each other. It's a good question. Um, what did, did he ask if Tom goes in before whom? Mike Evans when they're both eligible. Before Mike Evans, no. I I I tend to think that at, at minimum they would go in together. That would be a nice combination. Uh, Mike, of course, is a no-brainer. Mike might might actually go in with Tom in Canton, Ohio one day. I don't know that Mike's ready to retire, and frankly, I don't know if Tom is either. I say Mike might be uh, in Canton before Tom even retires, so. <laughs> That's possible, too, yeah. It really is. Like all of Brady's uh, players are all, all, all up there that are going to be there already. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, – it's interesting. I there's still some guys that I I would push for Ring of Honor that aren't there. One of them would be Simeon Rice, who I always thought was sort of like the the piece that kind of put the Bucks defense over the top. You know, they were so good with with you know Warren Sapp, obviously, and different players around him. Um, Brian, you know, Brad Culpepper was there for years, and Chiyahana too, and you know, uh, for a while Styles G White, and you know, all these guys. But um, but I really think that, that Simeon, who averaged 10 sacks a year for his career, think about that, he played like 11, 12 seasons, um, and it was proficient at the strip sack. I mean, I never saw a guy who would get a sack but also get the ball out so much. Uh, to me, he was on the, some of the best defenses they've ever had, including the Super Bowl, and I, he should have been Super Bowl MVP, I believe. Dexter Jackson won in part because he had, you know, um, two interceptions fairly early in a game, and by the time you vote in the third quarter, uh, you know that stood out. But um, Simeon Rice, I think, would be up there. There's been a lot of talk about you know, old school James Wilder would probably be deserving. So, um, but a lot of guys on this current Bucks team, this last Super Bowl team, I think you'll eventually see in the Ring of Honor. Let's be honest. Doesn't Levante David go in as soon as he's done? I mean, there's not been a you know a more consistent buck who went through a lot of bad years. A lot, and you know, how about and and people are this will be a lightning rod. How about Gerald McCoy? Mm-hmm. Are we going to forget about what he did just because he didn't play on winning teams? So you know, there's there's going to be a lot of names. They're going to have to clear some space. And you're right. I think maybe it will take a new stadium because um, they're going to need they're going to need some room. All right, Ellis tweeted. He said, "Jason Light being in the Bucks Ring of Honor is a matter of when, not if." Thoughts. Um, well, if we're going to talk about Jason Light, do we got to talk about Rich McKay first? I mean, he was here in 95. Now, people will give credit to Sam White for that draft when you had, I don't know, two Hall of, first ballot Hall of Famers and Warren Sapp and Derek Brooks. And, you know, they won, um, well, they went to the playoffs, what, four out of six years under Tony Dungy, won a Super Bowl when he was GM with, uh, with John Gruden. And Jason has been to the playoffs three times in three years, uh, the last three years, but he's been here 
since what, 2015, 14, somewhere in there. Um, yeah, he had six losing. He had six. Uh, his first six seasons, they didn't make the playoffs. And now the last three he has. But I, I think Jason uh, is deserving, will be deserving because of the number of players that he's brought in here that are going to be up there with him. But there hasn't been a GM yet. So in that, in that, of course, you know, John McKay was the coach GM uh, in essence when they hired him. So do you put in Rich McKay before Jason just in the interest of, you know, who waited long? Now, Rich is also a current member of the Atlanta Falcons, so that might – that might influence the order of things as well. Also, I don't, I don't see Jason retiring anytime soon. So, you know, unless he goes the route of uh, Bruce Arians and surprises everybody and says, I'm done. But uh, he's still a young, he's still a young enough man to do this for a number of years. And with the success he's had, you know, just in the last three years, of course, everybody will say, well, Brady, but you know, Brady's not here. If, if they don't have good players and Jason and John Spytek and, you know, Mike Greenberg, the cap guy have done all that. And so they deserve credit too. And, you know, you win two back-to-back division championships, three playoff uh, appearances. Uh, what do they have? Like uh, now it'll be a couple home playoff games, a Super Bowl 55 championship. Yeah, that's building a pretty good resume right there. And and really, uh, not every draft was great, but enough of them that you built a pretty damn good core of homegrown guys, guys that you drafted and developed. Uh, including probably a couple Hall of Fame players. So I, I think it's a matter of when, not if, yeah. All right, Scotty asks, what's up with Cole Beasley retiring, then signing with the Bills? Seems like there's more to this story. Did he and Tom not get along? You know, I know people say that, and I I, I just don't know what I don't know. Um, you know, I, I think this, that when he got here, it's already a pretty crowded receiver room, right? I mean, guys that had more equity, sweat equity built up with the Bucks, like a Scotty Miller, like a Brashard Perriman, right? Like a Jalen Darden. Those guys had trouble getting on the field. And so you bring in a Cole Beasley, they, they, you know, in essence, they thought they might have, you know, some injuries down the road and, you know, there might've been a couple guys nicked up at the time. He was somebody that played a lot. He was available. Uh, they put him on the practice squad. They didn't put him on the active 53-man roster. He did get get elevated the first week or whatnot. I think he didn't like it here as much as they didn't like him. I, I think they were a little disappointed that, you know, he came in, took the job, and then decided, well, I'm done. I'm retiring. And then for him to pop back up in Buffalo seemed very odd since when he left, it was all about being with family, and he's done this long enough and so on. Um, apparently he likes Josh Allen a lot better or what they're doing with the Bills because that's where he decided to go. But I, I don't know that Brady disliked he spent. I know they spent a lot of time. I mean, they, they got the guy ready to play pretty quickly. And so, you know, he had – the wide receivers coach had to spend a lot of time with him, Kevin Garber. Um, they put a, poured a lot into him and didn't get it back. And uh, But typically – and he played when he was here. He did play right away. But typically, if the quarterback doesn't trust you, you're not going to see the ball. In this case, I think uh, he said that, uh, you know, that that Brady was pretty receptive to him. And so I, I've i heard that narrative, like, well, Brady must not like it. I, I, mm. I mean, he's, you know, Cole Beasley's a different cat for a lot of reasons. Just Google him. Um, he has a lot of interesting ideas about things, but I'm not sure. Maybe he's just more comfortable in Buffalo with that organization where he spent time 
Maybe he sees an opportunity to win a Super Bowl that's better than the one here in Tampa uh, with the Bills and likes Josh Allen. I mean, there's any number of reasons why why he's someplace else, but uh, I didn't get the sense that it was because Tom didn't like him. Although Tom has – he wills an awful lot of clout. Um, you may not lose your roster spot, but he's not going to throw the ball to you. And he did throw it to Cole Beasley, so I think he liked him well enough. All right, Jeff had tweeted us. He said, hey, Rick. If Tom wants to go to the Raiders, could we do a sign-in trade for Derek Carr? Well, if Tom wants to go to the Raiders, he can do that for any for free because he's a free. He'll be a free agent. So, um, if you're asking me, should the Bucks then be interested in Derek Carr, whether Tom Brady plays with the Raiders or anywhere else or not at all? My answer is hell to the yes. I think, unlike a lot of the free agent quarterbacks a year ago, to me. Um, you know, Derek Carr is probably undervalued as a quarterback. That organization has had so many offensive coordinators, several head coaches, absolute chaotic ownership and drama uh, till the cows come home. I mean, look what happened to John Gruden, who didn't put anything around Derek Carr uh, that was very good, him and Mike Mayotte in the years that they had their drafts out there. And, you know, and, and I don't get why he became scapegoated for – you know, the little general's lack of success. I mean, Josh McDaniel has not been a successful head coach any place he's been. And and his idea of a quarterback was Tim Tebow. Now, Jared Stidham played pretty well the other day. I mean, very well. Uh, but again, I don't. I, I just think that you can really, and, and Derek knows because he, he watched his brother David go through it, you can ruin quarterbacks if you have them behind bad offensive lines and bad teams every year. I think, Carr is going to be one of those guys that he's going to go someplace, and if it's the right place, he's going to absolutely rip it up. He's not the oldest player in the world. He's still just one year removed from uh, a playoff with the Raiders under Rich Bisaccia. He's a pocket passer, which would seem to fit sort of what we were used to the last three years here in Tampa, and uh, just a hell of a team guy. And um, to the point where he, you know, they, he, he more or less suggested he leave the team when they went to the switch, cause he didn't want to be that distraction. You know, he just didn't want to be people running to him about, um, you know, not starting and things like that. So I met him at the combine years ago. I was so impressed with him. He's such a mature guy at that time. And, um, I think he's still a hell of a quarterback, but I don't get paid to make those decisions. It belongs to Jason light and his, uh, ring of honor candidacy. So, uh, there's not going to be a lot of great free agent quarterbacks out there though. And you will probably um, – one thing that Carr has that's to his advantage, and David, his brother, said it on ESPN the other day, or NFL Network, I'm sorry, was he's got a no-trade clause. So he can veto a lot of opportunities that maybe the Raiders would have. So he's in control of this a little bit. And uh, I would think that if Brady were to somehow either retire or go someplace else, I would think this would be a very popular spot for quarterbacks, especially one like David Carr. Because you know you have talent here. It's, it's experienced talent. Uh, he can throw the ball down the field if he has to. And um, pocket passer. So he checks a lot of boxes. I, I'll be interested to know you know what happens if, if he's available and the Bucks are in the market. I did see a stat on Derek Carr as the switch was made that since his time of being the starting quarterback in Oakland slash Vegas, their defense has been the worst in the NFL at points per game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hundred percent. You know, hard to win games yeah. when your defense is the worst in the NFL. 
Yeah, defense has been bad. Offensive line hasn't been good. They've they finally got him some weapons outside, you know, uh, and a pretty good running back. But, you know, you make the trade for Devontae Adams. The other thing, man, you, you make this trade and he's going with his boy from Fresno and comes all the way out there and you're going to bench the cat? You might have a bigger problem than Derek Carr. You might have, you might end up with with Adams wanting out of there too. So it's kind of a it's a mess, and uh, I think wherever he goes is going to be a step up from the Raiders organization, which is just a clown show. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, Rob had sent a, a question in last week. We didn't get to it, but it's about the playoff format. And he says, I think you've heard this suggestion before, but maybe what they should do is only give the top three division winners a playoff berth and all the rest of the teams then fight for the wild card. That way, being the worst division winner wouldn't get you anything. Okay, so I'm trying to follow along here. You, you, so you have the top three division winners. <clears throat> yep, and then the Buccaneers but, in this case would be fighting for a wild card spot, essentially. There would be okay. essentially be four playoff berths left. The top four mm-hmm. remaining teams, whether you're a division winner or not. So is it based on record that you're going to get the four seed? Yeah, I would say, yeah I mean, the Bucks are the worst of the, t- the four division winners. So the top three division winners, which in this case, mm. as of now, would be Minnesota, San Francisco, and Philadelphia, Philadelphia. Minnesota, San yeah, not in any order, or Phil- but, yeah. or some order, yeah. Yep. San Francisco might be first. Eventually. And at that point, the Bucks would be fighting with the Packers, with the Lions, with the Seahawks, all at eight. You're, eight. Well, you're going to get into a whole lot of tiebreakers. I don't know how many you yep. want to go down, but you know, you're going to have teams that have similar records. You're going to have teams. You know, usually the tiebreakers go, you know, overall record, then it's then it's head to head if there is any, and then it's um division record if you're in the same division, and then it's conference record if you're in the same conference, and then um like opponents, you know, what's your record against similar opponents and it, it goes all the way to point differ you know, point differential. So um I'm trying to decide like, you know, when you have a, a good number of teams that might have similar records they have to have they have to go to a bunch of tiebreakers to figure mm-hmm. that out. I don't think it's the worst idea, although you know, here's the thing. Um are we not going to reward every division champion? That's the problem, you know? Mm-hmm. Like well, you, you know, in, you, in, in in this case the Bucks may finish 9 and 8. The Jags right. may finish 9 and 8, but a couple of weeks ago we were talking about could it be 7 and 11 or 7 and 10 mm-hmm. or 6 and 11 as a division winner? Right, and that's but that's something that they worried about when they went to this many divisions. Mm-hmm. When they when remember they re, redrafted every the Bucks used to be in the NFC uh, North. It used to be the Central, then the North, and then you know they you know, they became the NASCAR division with the NFC South, and they moved so many teams around. And the fear was with all these four team divisions, you're going to have this. You're going to have a division champion with a losing record, or maybe even worse than a losing record. And it has happened. Um, you know, it, it happened with Carolina. It happened in Seattle. It's happened, but it hasn't happened with the kind of frequency that this comes up every time there's a, a, a division that, you know, has a team who's going to win it with a nine and eight or, you know, uh, 500 record back in the day when they played 16 games. So, 
but I just don't think the frequency is enough to just rip up the whole thing. I think you need I think football is better when there are division rivals. And how do you get those? When you have a division, they play each other twice. That's important. You know, so we're gonna go through the whole division and if let's say we're in the NFC East this year and the records aren't very good and you know, somehow it's the Cowboys that win that division, but they're on the road because even though it's a really tough division, nobody has a good record and, and you know, you take an NFC East team and you're gonna make them go on the road somewhere. I'm telling you, those cowboy fans would tear that place apart, you know? And I and I don't wouldn't blame them because the division is what it is, man. It's cyclical, you know. Some years you're in the best division, and you know you you may miss the playoffs because everybody's kicking butt. And other years you're like the Bucks, and you could get in at you know what eight and nine. But that's that's just the way it go. I mean, that I don't know. You know, it's something they really put a lot of thought to when they made these four team divisions, but. I don't think there's enough frequency of bad teams or bad records, more importantly. Uh, and then what we've seen is that when these teams that are supposedly so awful and, and win a horrible division, guess what? They end up winning in the playoff games. And so you're like, well, how is that possible? I thought they were terrible. Well, they're not terrible. They got a home playoff game. And then you're like, well, that's not fair to the other. Yeah, it is. You got to go out. And you got to go beat them. You know, that's what the, that's what it is. It's the playoffs, man. You gotta you gotta earn your right at that point. So I don't want them to diminish the conference and the, the, the value of the conference championships. I think that's important. Uh, and, and I think, you know, if you're just going by record, then that's quirky because, you know, some years your schedule is more favorable than others. It's just the way it goes. You know, they, not every, there's not a balanced scheduling in the National Football League. And so, you know, the better teams play the better teams. That's the competitive balance aspect of it. And, you know, it's kind of hard to to punish a team because they were successful the year before and have a first-place schedule. And if they, whatever the record is, if they win the division, I think they deserve to go there. I, I'm i against the whole – it comes up anytime there's a, a, a situation like Tampa Bay or, like I said, Seattle back in the day or Carolina. Um, but I think overall it, they've held up pretty well, and I, I wouldn't want to change that. All right, we'll switch gears here, and John had tweeted us. He says, the Lightning are about to begin their most difficult month on the schedule. They seem to have gotten back to last year's form, more or less. But since the Eastern Conference seems stronger overall this season, do you think the Lightning are the favorites to return to the final? I mean, I don't know. Steve, I don't know if they're the favorites, but, I mean, are you – okay, the game the other night, for example, right, one of the greatest regular season hockey – or just hockey games I mm-hmm. think I've seen um, – Andre Vasilevsky and Igor Shosturkin put on a show. And those mm-hmm. two teams are built so similarly in the way they attack, their speed that they play with, the depth of scoring, all of that, right? I mean, they really do remind me of each other a lot. And it's probably not by accident. But regardless, New York got off to such an unbelievable start. They didn't lose any games at home, or so it seemed. And they're a really, really good hockey team, you know? Um, so are they the favorites? Because, I mean, they were up 3-2 last year. And the lightning turned it around and, and got back somehow because that's, that's the heart of a champion. And, and Vasilevsky was the biggest part of that. So I don't know that I would favor the lightning because they've probably had more changes. And I, you'd say the more upstart team is probably New York at this point. Uh, not that Vassy's old, but a younger goaltender, but uh, you know, like the arrow is definitely going up, but 
how do you replace what the Lightning have done? They've been in the Stanley Cup three straight seasons. Does that give them the edge over a New York team? Who else would be favored um, in in their in their conference? Well, I mean, obviously Boston. Hasn't Boston, lost Boston, and Carolina are the best two teams record wise in the conference. Yeah. Carolina right now has won eleven in a row. Uh, they're they're atop the Eastern Conference. Boston's kind of running away with the Atlantic. They're ten yeah, points they're ahead of be, Toronto. They're going to be the number one seed, so you'd yeah. always favor them. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what it comes down to is the Lightning may not be favorites in every series if you're looking at Vegas or whatever else. But and we talked about this a lot last year too. What goalies do you trust in the playoffs? Yeah, you got one game to win. I mean, you trust Vasilevsky? Absolutely. Heck yeah. Okay, so let's go through the teams. Boston. Do you trust Linus Allmark, who's having a phenomenal year? Do you trust him in the playoffs yet? I don't know. Now, Boston, Boston has the best scoring offense and the best goals, uh, best scoring defense as well in hockey. So, it's a differential. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, Boston's really is a really good team this year. Can mm-hmm. they do it in the play? That's always going to be the question with them: is can they do it in the playoffs? Right. Toronto. They got uh, Murray in net. Do you trust him? Mm-hmm. I mean, Toronto's a really good team. Their defense has gotten a lot better this year. But do you trust the goalie in the playoffs? You know, do you trust Shosturkin? I think I do trust in the playoffs. I trust him, yeah. You know, but go through everybody. Tristan Jari at Pittsburgh. Do you trust him in the playoffs? No. I mean, you know, in the Eastern Conference, there's a lot of good teams. In the Eastern Conference, I think, as a whole, is a lot better than the West. But strong, yeah. You know, I think there's a couple weak teams. Columbus, Philadelphia are pretty weak. Uh, Montreal... You know, Florida's surprisingly struggling. They're two games under hockey 500 as if we tape this. Right. But in the playoffs, goalies matter. And I don't know how many you trust. So is the Lightning the favorites? Uh, maybe not, but I never count them out. No, you can't. When you have Vasilevsky back there. And, and let's see what Julian Breezewell does at the trade deadline as well and what other teams do too. I mean, you know, it's more than him, though. I mean, look at the year the points having right now. Look mm-hmm. at the year that uh, mm-hmm. Kucherov's having right now. You know, I mean, there's some guys that are playing at MVP levels. Absolutely, so, I, I think their decor is not nearly as deep as it's been it's in not years as past. Strong yet, yeah. I mean, I think Nick Perbix has done great, and what a surprise that's been. And and that's probably yeah. why the Lightning are as good as they are. Is they had a right hand shot defenseman that's playing top four minutes. They didn't know they had. To start the season, just sign him to a two-year. And now they now they've extended. He signed only a one-year deal coming out of college. Normally, you sign a two-year. So now they've extended him two more after this year. Mm-hmm. Ian Cole has been fantastic on been the back great, end, yeah. and, and mm-hmm. while he's not replacing Ryan McDonough because he doesn't do everything Ryan McDonough does, but a lot of those hard minutes, power, penalty kill, the physical play, the blocking shots, he's done a lot of that. Yeah, you know, everyone assumed Mikhail Sergachev was going to have to take over Ryan McDonough's role. He's taken on some of that responsibility, but Ian Cole has shouldered a lot of that. But get past their top six defensemen, and it's not nearly as deep as it's been in years past. I think the top six or the bottom six forwards are getting better now that Anthony Sorelli's back, because now Nick Paul's moved to that third line as a center. Right. And so it's made the bottom six better, but I don't think it's where you want it to be for the playoffs yet. They don't have that Gord Gaudreau Coleman line that can screw. They don't have they don't have depth on the bottom in the bottom six right now that that can give you consistent enough scoring for the playoffs. And generally, you need that to go deep in the playoffs. So I think they have some holes, 
I think Julian Breesball will look to address those. I, you know, how he'll do it, and, and, you know, every year we think, oh, there's really no moves for us to make. We're at the salary cap this, and then he finds a way. It'll be interesting to see what he does with this team. But considering that this year they have lost Ryan McDonough, Andre Palat, and Jan Ruda, too. Don't forget Jan Ruda. A lot of people, you know, talk about Palat and McDonough being gone, but Jan Ruda was a big part of this defense for a long time and played with Hedman. And that's still one of the things they're trying to figure out on the back end is who's going to play with Hedman consistently. Because it, it takes a different guy to play with. Hedman's a different defenseman. And so you have to play a, a, a different style. Anton Strawman was fantastic at that. Jan Ruda was really good at it. And, and they're still trying to figure out the best combinations for Victor this year. And that, that's one of the things you're going to see going forward. But the Lightning, as, as they said, this month and next month, a lot of road games. You know, currently they're, they played, I think, what, 20 home games and 15 road games as we take this before Tuesday night's game in Chicago. Yeah. So they played five more games at home than on the road. They're going to start making those up this month and next month. Yeah. So now we're going to see, the. I mean, the Lightning are, it's a three-game trip this week, Chicago, Minnesota, Winnipeg. They come home for two, then they go back on the road. Uh, you know, so it's, what, eight of ten on the road starting tonight as we taping this That's before the game. But. That's a lot, yeah. yeah. You hit the road and the road hits back. But but if you would have told me 35 games into the season, the Lightning were 12 games above Hockey 500 and sitting at 47 points through 35 games, I'd have taken that all day long. Pretty good. For this season. Yeah, pretty good. And they've got, a, they've got a gap of eight points between them and the next team in the division, Detroit. But they've been playing really, really well now for a while, right? For mm-hmm. several weeks. Mm-hmm. No, Lightning were uh, eight and two in their last ten. And like I said, uh, yeah. you'll know the outcome of the Lightning Blackhawks game before, By the time before you, you hear yeah. this. But mm-hmm. you know, you win eight in your last ten. That's good. Yeah, no, they're playing well, and and you know they got to maintain it. And you know, I, for them, it's all about just making the playoffs. And I don't think mm-hmm. they're that concerned about home ice against anybody. And you know, they'll be a tough out again, man. I mean, it's, it's an orga- organization that knows it's it it's way to win and you're right they may make a couple additions at the trade deadline you just don't know that that might put them over the top so but boston's going to be really really tough obviously new york is really really tough so they're you know the east is is more loaded and and they'll mm-hmm. earn their way they always do though they've had to earn it the other years i mean how many times have they come home to a you know elimination series and end up winning mm-hmm. you know here's what we know um, about this lightning team as long as this core Stamkos, right. Hedman, Vassie. Cooch, mm-hmm. Vazzy, Point. You know, as long as that core is together, you yeah. know, it doesn't matter how they're playing going into the playoffs. It doesn't matter if they have home ice or not. That you're going to have to beat them to advance in the playoffs. They're not going to beat themselves, and, and they're going to, you know, they're going to be a tough out. Right. You know, Toronto almost had them last year. Had them down, you know, three to two. With Yeah, they had them. You know, and up and, two and, to nothing. And New York it? was up two nothing on them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you're going to have to beat them in four straight games, and you have to beat Andre Vasilevsky in four games out of seven. Mm-hmm. What's his record in elimination? Like six and one, seven and one, something like that. Yeah, I mean, he's and get yeah. So it'll be it's you know the playoffs. Kruger, just, man. just get in the playoffs, and the Lightning right now, almost halfway through the season, is in a great spot to do that yep 
and you know they got another what forty six games, forty seven games left. Look, that's that thing, that whole thing. Much like the NFL, it's a marathon. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's nasty. It's it's a war of attrition. Who's going to be lucky enough to keep their pieces together and have that season where they don't lose, you know, mm-hmm. major parts down the stretch? Well, who's going to have those and pieces who are you when have the playoffs in, come? in the playoffs? Right. Who are you yeah. going to have healthy in the playoffs? You know, That's if, all this is. If Braden Point played in that final, and if oh. Anthony Sorelli was healthy in that final, it's a different game. I'm I would, sorry. You know. And and as much as you can say Colorado dominated that series. And I think they were the better team in the series. You're two overtime wins away from winning the series. Two of those well, games yeah, went to overtime. One no, they're yeah. up one nothing in game six. Right. But, I mean, two of those games went to overtime. If those two games right. slip outcomes, which in overtime it could, right. the Lightning win that series 4-2. to two. Well, and the thing that they were struggling with so much at that time, I thought, was you know zone time, getting, getting the puck across the blue line. And who does that better than anybody? Braden Point. Mm-hmm. If Braden Point was running the fast break, so to speak, um, those those they wouldn't have had those issues. Yep. And you know they spent a lot of time trying to get across the blue line, and and you know credit Colorado for for making it difficult. But um, yeah, Braden Braden Point, look what he's doing. I mean, he's got the hottest stick in the NHL right now, doesn't he? He's right up there. I mean, he's on fire, you know, and fully capable of doing that frequently. So. So since we're talking about that, we'll wrap up with uh, Tommy's question. He says, which Tampa Bay team has the best chance out of all three, the Rays, the Bucks, or Lightning, to take home a championship in 2023? I love this question. Um, God, it's so hard to win a championship in these leagues. It's mm-hmm. so hard. I'm going to eliminate the Rays simply because I, I, I still think baseball favors the big market teams. I think when you get... The, the Rays are fantastic for 162 games. They will absolutely get you there because they'll beat you with their 65 best players. Um, but then when they get to the postseason, they don't have enough offense and they don't have – you need the Bryce Harpers. You need guys like this, um, you know, to carry the carry the offense, and, and they don't have it. And so I'm going to eliminate them out of the three. It's it's between the Lightning and the Bucks. And, listen, it's very hard to bet against Tom Brady <laughs> – um, and I'm still one of these people that thinks like, yeah, you know, everybody's like, well, they're going to lose and they stink and, you know, it'll be one and done. And it might be, but it also might not be. And, and the reason is, is th- in that guy's neighborhood, that's where he lives the most and where he thrives the most and where his heartbeat is the lowest than anybody on the field. And you've seen it little glimpses of it during the regular season in the fourth quarter. When are games on the line in the regular season? Fourth quarter, what has he done? Four comebacks, right? And, and in some impossible situations where they did nothing on the whole game. You get Brady in that situation. Uh, look at the NFC and I go, okay, I'll give you one team that I think you could say, clearly they'd have a tough time beating them. San Francisco. Out there, um, that defense, rookie quarterbacks playing well enough. But I would bet you it wouldn't be the same game. I would bet you the Bucks would be more competitive because it couldn't be less competitive. It was down; they, were, they lost thirty-five to seven. Other than that, there's not a team in the NFC that I think they couldn't beat if they played well. You know, a lot of it is just, you know, who's healthy. Um, are you hitting your stride? Do you have a little momentum? Have you figured out who your team is? You know, Rashad White when the season started was a prospect. Now he's their starting tailback. You know, now they have a two-back system. Now, um, 
you know, your guard situation for seven weeks was messed up, and Nick Leverett's you found a way to make it functional. Um, the other thing is Tom Brady's going to play it differently in the postseason, man. He's going to let it rip. He's going to stand in there, look down the barrel, take those hits at 45, and try to make plays down the field. And God help them if they get hot on offense. If they stay healthy on defense, I think their defense is starting to play better. They're, they miss Jack Barrett. There's no question Anthony Nelson has made some tremendous plays of late, especially the turnovers. But they don't have that edge rusher that they used to have. And that's going to be a big thing in the playoffs. But um, I still give them a puncher's chance. I know it sounds crazy. And, and like I said, it may be embarrassing and they get blown out in week one of the playoffs with the wild card. The team, though, to me, clearly that has the best chance to bring it home is the one that's brought it home, and that's your Tampa Bay Lightning three years in a row in the Stanley Cup. Now, the odds would tell you they're not going to go to four. I mean, that's just basic human nature, right? Like, it's stupid what they're doing in this era. In a salary cap era to go to three straight Stanley Cups, hell, even going back further than that, look at the the 10- or 15-year run that they were on with all the the finals and and, and, uh, Eastern Conference finals and things like that. There's just no way. Like, how could they do? You know what? They could do it. They could do it if they if they get any health at all, any luck at all, with that goaltender, with that core. Um, we've talked about the teams they'd have to beat. Wouldn't be easy. Really good teams in the East. I still think they have the best look at, of the three teams. I really do because they're still they're still in their prime, and they got the greatest goaltender in the world. And in that sport, in postseason, goaltending is is sometimes the whole thing. All right, some great questions. We'll get to more, I'm sure, as the week goes on. And you can always send those to us at SportsDayTB. Reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud. My email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. Just a reminder, hey, contact our folks at May Electric Solar. If you're looking to save money on your electric bill, this is the way to do it. They've been in business for 12 years. They give you a 30-year labor and services warranty, $750 worth of surge protection, um, give the solar energy experts May Electric Solar a call at 727-819-2862. Schedule free estimate and lower your electric bill all year long. That's May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. We're going to have Matt Baker talking college football. Oh, boy, the national championship coming up as well as we'll recap some of those tremendous semifinal games from New Year's Eve. So all of that on the podcast tomorrow. Thanks for listening. For Steve Burstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.